0: Today, I'm going to start with Act 1, Scene 1 of Galatians. What a privilege to open up the series. We're going to be starting on Galatians. And really, you know, Steve gave me like four verses. And I opened them up and said like, Hi, Church of Galatia. How are you? And I thought, thanks, Steve. I've got to preach for half an hour on that. (laughs) Thanks, Steve. (laughs) Now, Steve, is, and Steve and Janet are on their way, and we really, as a church, we are with them, um, very excited for, for what, how God is going to use both of them by His Holy Spirit, really very exciting, and we, our church, are sending them. So, to the church of Galatia, so who do you follow and who do you serve? And this is a question that's actually quite important, because there are lots of things that we could be following and lots of things that we could be serving. Um, following is slightly different to serving. Serving is... But I, before we get into that, I think I have a control somewhere here in my back pocket. <laughs> okay, let's just see if this... If I hit the right buttons. And um, that should work. Whoops. Let's go back. So I had actually quite a lot of fun with this. I really had a lot of fun. and I think it was I had probably the most fun preparing for this than many of the other ser- sermons that I've prepared. But what we're going to do is we're going to look at the context of Galatians. Um, the history of the church, the letter as it appears in its timeline. Um, what triggered Paul to write this letter to the Galatians? Paul's credentials... The authority that he had to write this letter, and then why all of this is relevant today. So that's our journey. So what you see here is a piece of papyrus 46. Papyrus 46, known as Galatians. <laughs> and basically, we start off with this manuscript that was discovered in a, by a Cairo antiquity seller. They found this in a, and it was dated around about 175 A.D. And it contained the bulk of the New Testament. And in it was the earliest copy of the surviving letter of Galatians. And so what we see is it was emerged in Chira. It was broken up by the dealer into and he sold of pits piecemeal. And then you had collectors and universities clubbed together to go and buy these pieces. And... So we have the earliest recorded version of Galatians. Paul is relatively, largely undisputed as the author of this. So what they do is they first check the integrity of the authorship. who, Who wrote it? Where did it come from? And it's passed all those tests. They do carbon testing on the papyrus. They do all sorts of things to verify the scriptures. There's quite a rigorous process that goes behind this. Now, every story has a beginning. Okay, I'm hoping that most of you know these two characters. Yeah, okay. I grew up on "Asterix and obliques. Heather bought me one for my last birthday. There's a new one out. I've got it. Yeah. She's actually reading it at the moment. That's what we do as intellectuals. We, we read "Asterix and obliques. And the Bible. <laughs> I just had to throw that in. Gaul. I learned something when I was preparing for this. There was a kingdom of Gaul, and it stretched from the United Kingdom all the way through to the Balkans. And what actually happened, it actually conquered parts of Mesopotamia, northern Italy, Germany, Austria, was actually Celtic. And sat as part of this large kingdom of Gaul. It was quite a massive kingdom, as you can see. And this is what Rome came up against. Um, And when you read about Asterix and Obelix, at that time, Rome had already conquered most of Gaul and they were left in the south of France, as we know, Asterix and Obelix today. But there was a lot more to it than that. And you can see the extent. And what actually happened is three kingdoms, they were quite a rampaging bunch. And they went off expanding off to the east. And what actually happened is there was a group of um, kingdoms, you could say, in asia Minor, which is that little section by Turkey. And they were always the main thoroughfare for every army that wanted to go from Europe to Asia or from Asia to Europe, you went through asia Minor. So these guys figured, well, we're on everyone's trampling list. They come through and trample all over us. We're going to invite the Gauls to come and settle here. And they can be a little bit of a bridgehead for us or protection. And so they invited a Gaulish army that had invaded Greece to move over and transplant themselves into Gaul. And they established what we now know as Galatia. Gaul. In Asia Minor, in Turkey. So you had a Celtic three Celtic tribes settle in the middle of Turkey. Which I don't know. History 101. Okay. Um, And then... So, you had these three tribes. They were migrating Gauls around about 232 BC, so not too long before Jesus. And um, they created these multiple cities. And they actually had their own culture, their own language. They were the dominant tribe and they subjugated those around them. So, they kept to their principles. But what happened is they seeded themselves, one of their kings decided there was a long and bloody history. And then they decided that when Rome came into power, they actually, instead of fighting Rome, they would offer themselves to Rome as a subjugate nation, and they became then a province. The province of Galatia. Okay, some history 101. But it's interesting, because what happens, and this is the setting for when Paul begins his first missionary journey. So, I haven't started with Galatians yet, by the way. I'm just giving you some background. But a lot of the history of the establishment of the church is the context. We need to understand how did this church form. So there's a timeline, but what actually happened is in Acts 13 to, verse 4 and Acts, a large parts of Acts 13 and a bit, bit of Acts 14 talk about Paul's first missionary journey. And it's actually really exciting stuff. And what I want you to do for homework for today let's okay, go and read Acts 13. Okay, so there's your homework. You take away. Okay, you can take away the Holy Spirit, which you have already, but a fresh anointing in that. And Acts 13. <laughs> okay. And I want to just read something from Acts 13 here because it really stuck out to me. So this is John also called Mark. Now in the Church of Antioch. So there are two Antiochs, by the way. There's one in Syria, where they started from, and then one in Turkey. Um now, the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius, Serene, Menane, who was brought up by Herod, and Saul. And while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, So, who, who's worshipping and fasting? It's the church. It's not Paul and Barnabas. Okay, It's the church. Leadership. And the Holy Spirit comes to them and says... Set aside Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So they laid hands on them, prayed and set them off. So this is the start of where it all began. The Holy Spirit commissioned the church to send Barnabas and Paul. It wasn't Paul and Barnabas on a mission. It was a church sowing and led by the Holy Spirit. Okay. There's silence. Silence. And this is the verse that they preached when they went. So they went to Cyprus, then they went north into Asia Minor, and then they crossed over into Galatia at Antioch. And I can't read all these names, but fine. But they went on a trip. Now what was interesting on this trip is that they preached a common message. And this is the message, and it's an amazing message. And this is the message that hasn't changed. So listen, friends. This is Paul. Okay. Who's his, who are the friends that he's speaking to? So Paul went to the Jewish synagogues that had established themselves in these cities. And they stoned him. They Actually, in one place, he was stoned. They thought he was dead. They dragged him out, and they threw his body out into the rubbish heap. His followers came to fetch his body. He got up, and he walked back in to the city and carried on preaching. This is hardcore stuff, guys. And that's why I said, read this book of Acts 13. You will not believe what Paul went through to plant this church. There was some real hard belief behind this guy's, min- his, his intentions were clear. The Holy Spirit has called me. I will do the job. And if you don't want to hear it, at least the Gentiles will hear it because the Gentiles believed. The Bible says in Acts 13 that it was the Gentiles who believed. The Jews didn't want to hear this message. They chased him. They followed him. You see that route? They followed him the whole way through that. And eventually they caught him. They stoned him. They beat him up a couple of times before that. It was just a constant torrent. Then he went back the whole way to every church he'd been again where he'd been cast out, beaten, and stoned. And he reinforced his message. There ain't no fear there. This was, blew me away. So he's got a right to be upset with the Galatians church when they so quickly threw away this message of grace. But we'll come to that just now. So, what is the message that he preached? And I think this is in Acts. So, I haven't got to Galatians yet. I'm preaching in Acts because it believes it's important for you to understand the context and the, this framing scripture. So, listen, friends. Okay, calls them friends. It's a good starting point. Through this Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is offered to you. Okay, so Jesus is offering you forgiveness of all your sins. Everyone who believes in him, everyone who believes in him, is set free. Freedom of the captives from sin and guilt. No more guilt, no more shame. Something the law of Moses had no power to do. There is the line. The law of Moses had no power here, but Jesus Christ has. So that was the, this is the message that he preached to all those churches. Radical, hey? How to make friends. The law of Moses is dead. It's got no power, but believe in Christ. So he was a man on a mission. And um, some of the Jews who had opposed Paul and Barnabas in Antioch and Iconium arrived and stirred up the crowds against him. They stoned Paul and they dragged his body outside the city and left him for dead. When the believers encircled Paul's body, he miraculously stood up. Paul stood and immediately went back into the city. The next day he left with Paul and with Barnabas for Derby. After preaching the wonderful news of the gospel there and winning a large number of followers to, to Jesus, they retraced their steps and revisited Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. At each place they went, they strengthened the lives of the believers and encouraged them to go deeper in their faith. Whew. Wow, man. So that's how Galatians' churches were planted. and That's where we start. So then Paul has an issue. Okay, there's the timeline. Okay, um, I can spend a lot of time on this on the timeline, but and you can't really see it, so there's no real point. (laughs) Okay, there was a meeting and a council in Jerusalem in about 45 to 50 AD that you see Paul taking on the church, or Paul meeting with with Peter and James and confirming his mandate to the fact that you cannot mix law and grace. And what happens is the the church then sends a delegation with Paul back to Antioch to reinforce this message that Paul is actually on the right track here, believe in him. But this letter of Galatians was reputedly written before that. So he hadn't yet received the mandate or let's call it the backing of the church in Jerusalem. Okay, when Galatians. So the five years before that he, started, he planted these churches. Two years later he writes this letter. So what happened in these two years? Paul has an issue with the Galatians. So after Paul's departure the Galatian churches were led astray. So there were people that were going around and saying you've got to be circumcised. So, um, you've got to obey the Sabbath. You can't eat food that's sacrificed to idols, and there's all sorts of things that you must obey. The law stays. And therefore, you cannot be saved unless you obey these things, get circumcised, etc. But what really upset Paul was just how quickly the Galatians church embraced this. And he wasn't upset with what he was doing. He was upset with the fact that the message had been diluted and distorted and twisted. So they were following him around, and then they would go behind his back and, no, bring law back in, bring law back in. And um, they also then questioned his authority. They said, look, Paul's got no authority here. He wasn't one of the original 12 that walked and talked and spent three years with Jesus. So he's not a true apostle. Okay, so that was the main issues. And that's where Galatians starts. So now we're getting into it. Ta-da! We're going to hit Galatians 1. So Paul starts in Galatians 1, and he says, From Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he says straight away, I'm an apostle. My apostleship has not was not granted to me by men. For I was appointed by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. So what Paul is saying is that my revelation, in terms of my authority, is from Christ direct. And he had the Damascus Road experience. But also what we saw, and what I shared in Acts 4, 1 verse 4, was that the Holy Spirit commissioned him through the Holy Spirit to go and take this message out. And what is very interesting is that Paul, the message that he preached, he hadn't really verified it with the church in Jerusalem. When he gets back, they compare notes and they've got exactly the same revelation on grace by the Holy Spirit. So we had two independent bodies operating, one to the Gentiles and one to the Jews, and they've got the same revelation and the same message. Look, Paul had been working in Jerusalem a couple of times. You see that there was a big famine in Jerusalem, and he goes and he collects a whole lot of money, and he goes up and he gives them money. To, to help get them through the tough times. So he wasn't a stranger to the church, but he wasn't camping there. He was actually in an Antioch. So here we see, and so then something Martin Luther says, which you cannot read, and Tams is going to be really upset with me, because he said, don't ever do this. <laughs> this is Martin Luther. When I was a young man, I thought Paul was making too much of, this, of his call. I do not understand his purpose. I did not then realize the importance of the ministry. We exalt our calling not to gain favor or glory among men, or money or satisfaction or favor, but because people need to be assured that the words we speak are the words of God. This is not sinful pride, it's holy pride. That was Martin Luther writing about this opening line on Galatians. Paul wasn't trying to get glory from man here. He was Proud of the authenticity of this message that it was life to everyone in he years, and therefore know that it comes from God, not from man. It's a really radical, important distinction. Who are you following? Who are you listening to? Is it a message of revelation from the Spirit, or is it a message by man? That's central to everything. For I was appointed by Jesus Christ and God who raised Jesus. So, and Paul then makes this in verse 2 a family matter. All the brothers and sisters join with me as I write this letter to the churches throughout the region of central Turkey. So what he's saying to the churches in Galatia, you're not alone. You're not some illegitimate child. My daughter came back from varsity. And I've got my other two there and my gorgeous wife. They're all the family she can't become illegitimate all of a sudden. And not that she would ever disappoint, but daddy's always proud. Um, we are a family. And what Paul was saying is you are not illegitimate children either. You belong to a family with a common DNA. Don't try and warp your DNA with all this legal stuff. Okay, so he's just being very subtle about it knowing that they're not, on a, they're not on their own little mission. They're part of a greater body, the family of God. Now, there's a little peace sign. So what happens is when he opens up in verse 3, Paul had a common greeting. He talks about grace. May God's undeserved kindness and total well-being, grace, and peace. Total well-being is peace. Undeserved kindness is grace. Grace. Grace and peace that flow from our Father God and from the Lord Jesus be yours. So here's the question Why grace and peace? Why would Paul begin most of his letters with grace and peace? Why not love, faithfulness, joy? Why is his first greeting grace? Any, okay, don't, you don't have to put your hands up, rhetorical question. Hey. So. But it is this, that grace is love in action. So what we see with grace is that I can say I love you, but there's no, I don't do anything about it. It's not really love in action. It's a feeling, and it's warm and fuzzy. But grace says, no matter what you did wrong, I will not hold it against you. That's how much I love you. So grace is a different baby altogether. They say love love is all. Behind everything, for, you know, it was love that made God not abandon his children. And Jesus die on the cross. But it is grace as an action that he extends out and he pours out to everyone who believes. And with that comes peace. This is not peace as in the peace sign, bro. Hey, peace, whatever the sign is. You know, like the peace that came out of the peace movement with Vietnam. And actually, I think there was a Christian behind this or something, and the world just got hold of it and took it and ran with it and warped everything behind that peace sign. That wasn't the intent. It got kind of corrupted on the way. Um, it was supposed to represent the dove and something else. I don't know. Whatever. But that's really not the issue. The issue is that this piece is a Shalom piece. It's the piece that the Jews were promised from the very beginning within the scriptures. Shalom is a greater piece. It's the piece of restoration to everything as it was intended at the garden. You walk into that piece. The piece where everything is Right. The world is in right standing with God, and I'm in right standing with God. It is a higher level of peace. It's not the peace of, I'm not in conflict anymore. It's a peace of, everything is right in the world, and I'm in the place, and doing the purposes I was intended to be doing. This is the peace that Paul is talking about here. So he begins these letters with grace and peace. Shalom, peace, be with you. Powerful opening statements we should remember because we forget we forget about the fact that we now have this grace, we forget that we have access to this peace and finally the centrality of Christ to the church of Galatia I opened with this question so who do you follow and who do you serve because the Galatians battled with us they already did And then Paul comes back and he writes this as his opening stanza, after his greetings. He's the anointed one. We talked about the Holy Spirit anointing this morning. You could feel it. And I prayed for some of you to receive a fresh anointing. And what I'm going to ask you, to, those who didn't receive and would like, an filling of the Holy Spirit, just meet over there after the service. And a ministry team will be there for you. And we'll take you through that. And if you heard me speaking with a funny tongues and language, And you want in on that, you come join us over there after the service. Okay, that's a free invite, just for free. So he's the anointed one, anointed, who offered himself as the sacrifice for our sins. He has rescued us from the evil world system and set us free. The same message in Acts 13 when he was first there. Do you see? That he's coming back to that centrality of that very first message. Just as our Father God desired. May all the glory be to God alone throughout time and eternity. Amen. And that's how Galatians opens. But I want to just unpack this a little bit here. So, there's a sacrifice for our sins. He has set us free. Religion doesn't set you free. Religion makes you a captive. And secondly, here it is God's desire that you be set free. And secondly, it's the work and glory is to God alone. It doesn't say to man and God, so that none can boast, but to God alone. And so in this one statement, what he's saying, very non-subtly, is that, first of all, it's Christ that saves a belief in Christ, not in the works of man so that none can boast. And the glory goes to God and not to these other guys that are saying, follow my teaching. And if you work really hard and get circumcised and do this, this, and this, and this, you will be saved. Because what are we doing by doing this, this, and this, and, this? and that? Is that is be saying, I can save myself. I can please God. And why is it so tempting... To fall into that. Because for the Galatian church. It was an easy slip back in. And I don't want to take away. From all the other preachers that are going to come. They're going to unpack this in detail. But it was far too easy. For them to throw all of that away. And to remove, Because they found comfort. In ritual. There's a comfort in knowing that. If I just pitch up to church on a Sunday. God is happy with me. I'm doing I'm doing an instructed religious practice. That's, religion is not what saves. It's the heart condition that saves and just this acceptance. So, the question I have is, and we need to keep examining our hearts. And this is the challenge that I want to just expand back to you. So, who do you follow? You can't follow a man or woman. Except for me, I'm happily married. I just obey, no, jokes, hi, sweetie. (laughs) Do whatever you say, dear. No, you can't follow a man and woman. And especially with this issue of the gospel. You need to have a personal revelation. You each have to have a personal revelation of Christ and how he set you free. And you can't earn it. Sorry for you. You just cannot earn it. Not sorry for you, joy for you, because we can't earn it. We don't have to work for it. Imagine the burden of having to keep working to please God. I shared my last testimony about how I kept trying to please God all the time. God's already pleased. But be careful what you're listening to. You need to have your filters on and your ears and eyes wide open to what's coming through these earlobes. And enter the center. Because the world is not there with us. They will too easily, Christian churches will also slip back into it. And there's a lot of you guys listening to things and reading stuff on multimedia. And that's great. But you ask this question. Who are they following and who do they serve? Before you start agreeing with everything they're saying. I will give you free license to do that. So, it's just, a, it's a good step of wisdom. Heavy, am I being heavy? Okay, just like, <laughs> okay, sorry about that. <laughs> but I'm not going to apologize for it. So, we're going to enjoy Galatians. This was the first opening stanza, Act 1, Scene 1. Now, you know where asterisks and obliques came from? <laughs> You're taking something home. <laughs> Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, can we just stand and we're going to pray quickly about this? I've really enjoyed preparing for this preach, I have to tell you. i tell you what I really enjoyed the most was just unpacking the treasure in the Bible. I'm lazy as a Christian. You know? So I really relish the chances to preach because it forces me to sit and research, to open up the Scriptures and unpack them. And I really want to encourage you to just pick a topic like this and do the same thing. Because I actually, I did this in one night. I just like got going and I wouldn't stop. Just like, wow. I was just put, obviously I meditate on it for like a month before. Um, so I don't just do it in one night. But I really kind of got into this. I really enjoyed it. I didn't really want to go to sleep and stop. And it's that hunger that I would pray that you also get. A joy in the scriptures and the, in the treasure and the nuggets that are there. The link between Acts and Galatians and how they're fitted together. You know, Mark actually pointed me in that direction. He just said, go and read Acts. Okay, I'll do it. And it was like, really good. Um, so let's just, let's just pray. Um, let's, let's, before you pray, <laughs> I'm going to ask just if there are some of you who might not believe in the grace of salvation through the blood of Christ who died on the cross and set you free. And you're striving in works. You're not, you don't feel that you're saved. You don't know Jesus personally, or you don't believe that he could save you. What I want you to do is I want to invite you to come up and chat to me after the service over here. Those that want to be filled with the Spirit over there. Um, the Holy Spirit was working here today. take advantage of that, the work that he's been doing in your heart. Don't leave here empty-handed. But let's pray. Father, we give you thanks, Lord, for this message of grace that is just radical, that, that cannot be diluted by religion and works, where we have to earn your favor, Lord, and go back to silly rituals that do not bring life. But Lord, we have life in this gospel through this word that sets us free through belief and changing of our hearts, a turning away and a turning to you, turning away from our old life and being born again. And Lord, I pray for wisdom over this congregation right now that they would question when they listen to stuff. They would ask the question who do they serve? Who are they following? So that law doesn't creep back into the great gift of freedom that we have through this grace message. Lord, I just thank you, Father, for an anointing. Worship is what we do every day. When we wake up and we just recognize that you've given us in our lungs, that there's greenery outside, that the sun is shining, and that God is good. And so, Father, we just give you worship. Lord, and I pray that you would bring it to our hearts to recognize you are at work around us all the time. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.